to everybody who's married, to everybody who's married. How did you feel and what kind of thoughts were you having when you were either dating or when you first got married? What kind of thoughts and feelings did you have towards your spouse? The Lord reminded me to tell me and to tell you that we all should have those feelings and thoughts again. If you've been married a year, 10 years, 20 years, I've been married 30 years, you need to go back to those thoughts and those feelings. And all the single people said, amen. amen. Because the married people, it just went right over their head. But anyway, no, I'm serious. You have to, marriage is work. And sometimes you need to be reminded, you need to be reminded that, you know, because we see everybody's negative, we see all their junk. And a lot of times we focus on the junk and your marriage becomes junk. So the Lord says, no, 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 no. Remember what you felt like when you first started dating. Amen. We got all. Yeah. All right. Today I want to talk to you quite a bit about regret. And, uh, you know, I just know that the older that I get, not that I'm old, let me clarify, <laughs> but the older I get, and when I've talked to older people, it just seems like they have a lot of regret. It seems like I could have been a better father. I could have been a better husband. I could have been a better mother. I could have been a better wife. I could have been a better uh, with my finances. I could have, I should have, and I didn't. And there's a lot of regret. I could have treated my kids with better, you know, and I could have did this, and I could have, you know, I could have made that investment, and I didn't, you know. I could have bought Apple when it was $19 a share. I could have did this, and I could have did that. And so we just get a lot of regret, a lot of regret. And so this is the message that the Lord wants all of us to get today. Are you ready? Forget it. <laughs> Quit living and thinking upon regret, upon I could have, I should have, I could have been a better. Oh, let's just get real. There's not a person in here that couldn't have been a better spouse, better husband, a better employee, a better boss, a better parent. Everybody. Everybody. You could have done something better. And so the devil jumps on that and said, yeah, but you didn't. You didn't. You were lousy spouse. You were a lousy parent. You were a lousy employee. You were lousy with your finances. You were just you were just lousy in life. Lousy, lousy, lousy. Well, in Romans chapter 8, it's a familiar scripture, verse 1, the Passion Translation. So, so now the case is closed. The case is what? Closed. The case is closed. As far as God is concerned. Are you hearing this now? I want y'all to really pay attention today. Not that you don't ever pay attention, but really pay attention. The case is closed. There remains no accusing voice. No accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus, the anointed one. No condemnation. No condemnation. Verse 34 says, who then is left to condemn us? 
Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen, exalted, and thrown by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our triumph? No condemnation. None. Absolutely none. And yet the majority of the church world, the majority of the world period, but especially in the church world, we live with guilt, condemnation, and shame. We live with that. And I'll say this, all three of those things will rob you of joy and victory that Jesus has already provided for you and me. They'll rob you of that. They'll rob you of joy. And God wants to get through to us today that all three of those need to be out of your life, need to be out of our life. No condemnation, no guilt, no shame. In Isaiah chapter 61, uh, verse 7 or so, it says that for your shame, he says, I'll give you double honor. Double honor. And you rejoice in their portion. If you are living in shame or guilt, you won't be rejoicing. Joanne was just testifying to me. She said in the last three months, she says, I just have this bubbling joy all the time, just, just constantly. That should be all of our testimony. Are you hearing me? But you know what? If you've got guilt going on in your life, there won't be anything bubbling out except for yuck. And there'll be people to remind you of your guilt and condemnation and shame. Yeah, but you did this. You know, man, you treated me this way. You did that. I'm sorry, but you need to let that go. You need to let it go. I remember... My dad, when he, he, he passed away in 1999, and he had a lot of regret. He did. And I wish I could preach this message to him before he died. But guess what? He's up in heaven, and Jesus has already cleared him of all of that. But the point is, he left when I was nine years old. I didn't really, growing up, he, that wasn't really part of my life, growing up hardly at all. When I got involved, I got involved in sports when I was about nine and ten, doing all the little league games and all of this stuff, and and uh, he missed all of that. And later in life, after I got married, Melody, I had really no connection with him whatsoever. And then later, Melody says, "You need to connect with your dad." And I went, "Dad, I don't think so." <laughs> and I'm glad I listened to her. We did. We connected. He lived in Tennessee. Lived in you know about 700 miles away from us, so it, it was hard to be seeing him all the time. But the last years of his life, we had a great relationship, a great relationship. And uh, he had a lot of regret because he, 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 even my brothers and sisters, he wasn't much, they testified to me he wasn't much of a father to them. So he had a lot of regret. But if I could tell him something before he died, I would tell him, I says, don't you worry about it. You, as far as God is concerned, listen to me now. As far as God is concerned, he sees you with no regret whatsoever. And that's the way you need to see yourself. This is such a free today because there's probably everybody in here or people watching who have a little guilt, a little regret, a little shame, a little condemnation working in your life. You've covered it up. You come to church on the Sunday. How are you? Oh, I'm blessed. 
you got, you're like sin, shame, guilt on a popsicle stick, frozen. <laughs> but this is the thing. Today, God wants to melt all of that away. All of it. Zero guilt, zero shame, zero condemnation. So I, I know that my dad, he, he didn't do everything right. And he realized that. You know, you don't need somebody pointing a finger at you and saying, you know, you didn't do it right. Most people who are doing wrong know that they did wrong. And, but, you know, spiritual people think they're the Holy Ghost police and have to go around <laughs> telling everybody what they did wrong. The devil does a good enough job with that without you and me helping him. Yes, <laughs> Amen? But I'm here to tell you, God wants you to know, and he, this is what he wants you to live. Every day of your life, he wants you to live without guilt, without shame, without condemnation. I believe it's possible because he said, I bore your shame. And if he bore it, that he did it for a reason so that you would never have to bear it. Never. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I've done. Do you know what he's done, though? See, it's not so important what you've done. It's what he has done. And he was, he bore all of the shame that everybody would ever face. He bore it and he took it upon himself. So everybody has regrets. Everybody has, you know, I mean, people say this. Oh, I've got so many skeletons in my closet. I'll tell you what. And, uh, and if you want to look at my life, I do too. But this is the, what I've come to. I open up my closets now, and there's nothing there but the blood of Jesus. So people may remember what you've done, but God does not, and he's God. See, there's something miraculously that God can do, even though he knows all things. Evidently, he can uh, erase all of your sin, guilt, and condemnation. He can erase all of your ugliness and badness. He can erase it from his mentality and thinking, and he never thinks about that or sees that when he looks at you. Man, I tell you, we can need some people like that in our life. We need people like that in our life. You're still looking at them and going, oh, yeah. How many times have you been married? How many, how many terrible things? How, how, many, how many terms did you spend in prison? I, I remember. And, or look at you and go, Man, there's a blood-washed child of the living God who's seated at the right hand of the Father God who has Christ in him, the hope of glory, just all in every cell of his DNA. Oh, I see Jesus. I think we need more people like that in our life. And you can become that person to somebody's life. And this is the hardest thing, though. We, it's easier for most of us to forgive people than it is to forgive ourselves. Because we remember what we did. I can remember the stuff that I did, but I do know this. God has cleaned it away, and he does not have that thought against me whatsoever. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says he's not keeping a record of any of our sins. There is no record, and God knows everything, but there's no record of my sin or your sin. So there should be no guilt or condemnation or shame because of what we've done or not done. Could have done things, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I could have did better. I could have treated that person better or I shouldn't have said this or I could have said something nicer. Oh, my goodness. 
You just have to, I, I remember this, uh, Bob Newhart, most of you people who are young don't know who he is, but if you YouTube and Google Bob Newhart and, and stop it, just use, just do Bob Newhart, stop it, Google that, and this little short video clip will come up. It's hilarious. I, I, w- I would suggest everybody just do what it says, and this is what he says. Stop it! When it comes to guilt, condemnation, shame, stop it! Watch the video. Anyway, I think the best, the heart of the father is so prevalent in in the prodigal son story. Uh, There was a father who had two sons. And uh, even the Jewish culture, and they, a lot of times the family, the father would give his inheritance while the kids are still alive. You didn't have to die to get uh, the inheritance. They would give it to you while you're still alive. So it wasn't unheard of for that to happen. So there was the younger son or one of the sons. He said, uh, give me my inheritance now. The father didn't scold him and go, well, my body's not even in the grave. And you want? No, he, he, he gave it to him. But the Bible says he gave the inheritance to them, both sons. He gave his inheritance to both sons. So the one son stayed and kept working for the father. The son who asked for it, he took his money and ran. He lived uh, and wasted it on harlots and righteous living. Not righteous living. Riotous. Is that right? He partied. Wasted his money. And uh, lo and behold, he spent it all. There was a famine in the land. And uh, so he had nothing to eat, and uh, you got to realize the Jewish culture culture is that pigs were, they were just terrible. It was the worst thing. They wouldn't even not eat pork. They wouldn't touch a pig. They wouldn't come in contact with a pig because pigs are just terrible. And so, lo and behold, here's a little Jewish young man, and he cannot get a job, so he's taking care of pigs, and it gets so bad, he starts living with the pigs and eating pigs' food. I know, really. Can you just imagine? First of all, just the smell. I mean, pig stinketh. And so naturally, the young man stinketh. And so he was sitting there thinking about, you know, my father's house, he has hired servants that they have a bed to sleep in. They're getting three meals a day. They're being taken care of. I'm just going to go back home and be a servant to my dad. I know what I've done has disqualified me from being his son, but I'd rather be a servant in his uh, house as to live with pigs. that's, That's a better deal. So this is where the story picks up, and Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now, you got to see the story. Jewish culture also says that it was unethical for a father to run in, his, in all of his robes so he wouldn't show maybe all of his glory while he's running. You know, it's flying, <laughs> flying up. You don't want any. So men didn't do that. You don't run in your robe. And uh, so... Uh, But on this, here's the picture. 
the father was just always looking out with an expectation of his son coming to his senses, coming to know his true identity, that he was the son and that he was the father. So he wanted his son to know that I don't care what the culture says. I don't care anything about anything. The only thing that concerns me, and you got to remember now, this guy looked horrible, matted hair, pig poop all over his clothes. He stunk, and the father is running and embraces him and loves on him. So in verse 21, he says, And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In one translation, he says he, the father literally interrupted him as he kept talking. In other words, whatever you're saying is nothing. You need to listen to what I'm going to say. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now a lot of people think, oh, he was lost like he lost his salvation. No, 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 no. He lost who he really was. He lost his identity. Let me just clear up for some of you people. There may be some people who have died and that you wonder if they're in heaven they may be, or people that you think, man, they haven't lived much of a godly life, so I don't know if they're in heaven. I'm going to put that to bed tonight, today, and tonight, if you think about it tonight. They are there. They are in heaven. People who don't live godly lives, they lost their identity. They did not lose their salvation. So there's a lot of people, I, I told this story, the Lord reminded me. My sister, she's in heaven, my older sister, she probably been about 83, 84, something like that. Uh, she was still alive. But when, you've, you've heard me tell the story that uh, she, she had a child that's uh, four or five years older than me, but then she got pregnant with her second child, uh, and he was born on April 7th. I was born two months later, June the 7th. So she had two children before I was even born. My sister had two children before I was even born. But so they lived down the street from us. So when she uh, had her son, we grew up like brothers, fought like brothers, did everything like brothers. I mean, we were just like brothers. I was not Uncle Mike to him. He was like a brother. I joined the Air Force. She joined the Navy. And we kind of grew apart. Uh, we hadn't been in contact for quite some time. And uh, I got a phone call one time. Wow, it was on a Sunday morning at church, and they called me back, and uh, I found out that he'd been killed, murdered, not in service. But um, he got messed around with the wrong crowd, and he started doing drugs, and he, it was a drug deal that went bad. Two guys murdered him, stabbed him, killed him. And uh, so our whole family was devastated. I mean, he, like I said, he was a brother to me. This was unreal. It devastated me so much. And I remember my sister. She was so devastated. And because she knew the lifestyle that he, he uh, was living, 
she didn't think he went to heaven. So every, can you imagine that feeling, that thinking that your son would not, you would not see him in heaven. And so every night she said for a year, 12 months, every night she cried herself to sleep because she just couldn't stand it. The last thought that she always had going before she would fall asleep would be crying and weeping over her son every single night for 12 months solid. And at the end of the 12 months, she, she was at her wit's end and she just said, God, I can't take this anymore. I, I just can't do this anymore. I can't. And uh, matter of fact, she, she took, the doctor gave her drugs and stuff to always keep her sane almost. So at the end of 12 months, she went to bed one night and she said that same thing again, that I can't do this, I can't think that way about my son. And in that night, I don't know if it was a dream or a vision or whatever it was, she woke up the next day and she knew that the Lord told her that he was alive and well in the Father's kingdom in heaven. And she changed. She said, I never cried again, never cried again about him. My point is this, the devil, in John 10.10, I know the context there, it's talking about religion. The thief comes, how religion can steal from you. Religion can uh, keep joy from you, but it comes to kill and steal and destroy. But I have come to enjoy life. Jesus has come, not, listen to me, not just to take you to heaven, are you all hearing me? Jesus came so you can, you know, I, we used to think growing up, you know, it, it, you know, really God didn't. If you were enjoying life a whole lot, then you probably were sinning. So growing up, man, I, I thought, well, I just live in sin because I'm enjoying life. You understand? I'm going to enjoy life. So if that's what it is, <laughs> Sorry. But then I realized that my heavenly father wants me and came to die on the cross and be resurrected so I could enjoy life. So that I could enjoy life. In the majority of the church world, we, we think that, that it's a sin almost if, if we start enjoying life. And Jesus has come to make sure that we enjoy life. But if you have any guilt, condemnation, or shame on you, I can tell you for sure you're not going to enjoy life the way that you're supposed to. Mm. Verse 24, he says, this, my son was dead and was alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be married. The older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. Party. So he called one of his servants and asked that what in the world do these things mean? And he said, hey, your brother's come home, and because he received safe and sound, your father's killed the fatted calf. So that brother was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. I want to tell you something. He's saying this. I have been the perfect Christian, the perfect child of God. And yet, you didn't do anything for me. That's a slap in the father's face. 
I'm here to tell you that is wrong and nobody in this church is going to think that way. I'm not going to allow it. Are you hearing me? You say, you can't do that. Watch me. Listen. Listen. The Father has done everything for you and it's not based upon anything that you have or haven't done. Listen to what the Father, listen, this is a, the picture perfect of the heart of the Father and religion and what the devil has done to the body of Christ. He was angry, he wouldn't go in. So he answered and said to his father, okay, I read that. Verse 30, but as soon as the son of yours, who's devoured your livelihood and with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. You just didn't take the advantage of enjoying it. All that I've ever had. He said it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. In other words, my closet, all of the clothing in my closet, you could go to it. The fatted calf, any calf that's inside the pen, I've never said don't do it. You had ample supply of any cattle, any goat, anything that you wanted, it was there for you all of it was yours. Any jewelry you wanted, if you wanted my ring, you could go in and get it. All that I had was yours. <coughs> so it was really a disgrace what that son was saying to the father. But you see Christians doing that. I have served you, God, and I've done this for you. And I tell you what, that person just, they got, they got healed. And they got a great job. They got a better job than that. But I've been serving you. And they don't do it. You're not going to think that way anymore, are you? I said you're not going to think that way anymore, are you? Because you're going to think of this story and go, I don't want to be pictured as that son. Because the father scolded him. Did you know he didn't say anything to correct the other guy? But most people, most of us would have said, all right, son, now sit down here. You did do wrong. And how, how did that work for you? You're living with the harlots and all that. How, how did it? No, did you know the father didn't correct him at all? But he did correct the other son. He did correct the other son. Why? Because he, listen to me now. This is where the church is. He did not know the heart of the father. And I dare say the majority of the church world still does not know the heart of the Father. We still think, you know, I was thinking about that story, what the Lord told me, you know, holy cow, uh, my time's running quick. Uh, let me talk fast. Are you ready? You listen quick, I'll talk fast. That story where uh, I was at the Levi's preschool uh, musical, and uh, was, all the parents were just shining, laughing, you know, taking uh, iPhone pictures and videos and everything, and it was just, I mean, it, it, you just think, wow, that was so awesome, but, you know, in the natural, it, it was horrible. 
kids singing off key and, and just, you know, pushing and shoving, picking her nose, doing everything, scratching her. I mean, everything's up in broad daylight and everybody's going, this is so good. This is really good. This is so good. It's my grandson. He's so, so cute. He said, it's the best one up there. That's the one he is. Everybody, all oh, every single person in that room is doing that. And then I was minded thinking, I said, you know what, Lord? That was such a great illustration you gave to me. But I think people are going to think this way. People are going to think, yeah, but they're little toddlers. They're kids, and they don't, you know, that's the way. But when they grow up, they have to be disciplined. They have to be corrected, and they have to be that. And I said, people are going to think that way. He says, and if they do, they don't know my heart. Did you hear that? They don't know my heart. But if you keep, the Bible says, if you're going to be, enter into the kingdom of heaven, you must become like a child. You have to become like these little preschoolers and leave up on the stage because we are on the preschool stage of life. If you're 70, if you're 80, if you're 90, if you're 100, you still are in the preschool stage of life. And your father up in heaven is getting Jesus and the Holy Ghost and the angels are all looking at And they have their Jesus eye phone. They're going, look at that. Oh, this is so great. That's, a, that's my kids. That's my kids. He's not down there thinking that, I tell you what, they need a spanking, they need this. and a, No, 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 no. If your mentality is that, you're not understanding the heart of God. If you want to go there, which most Christians do, if you want to go there, which most Christians do, it would be like, I need to be corrected. I, the God is not pleased with me. God's not happy with me, and God is this. And, and I, instead of, my Father loves me and accepts me, and all of my junk he loves me and accepts me. I'm running out of time. Let me just explain this. He put shoes on his feet. In the Jewish culture, this is what it represented. It represents our faith in God and our readiness to serve him. It also symbolizes victory over the enemy by putting shoes on someone's feet, being taken care of for by God, our humility before God, and he's answering all of our prayers when feet or shoes are put on our feet. Listen to me. I heard this one minister. I've never connected these two. You remember what God said to Moses when his first encounter with him? When the burning bush, God told Moses to take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Everything changed in the new covenant. Listen to me. Because Moses wasn't holy, but the ground he walked on was. Moses wasn't holy, but the ground he walked on it was in the new covenant, you are holy, and every time you touch the ground, it becomes holy because of what you are. And not only that, listen to me. The kid didn't even have to go get his own shoes out of the closet. The father said, called one of his servants, hey, go get some shoes and put it on my boy's feet. Wow! What is he saying? You don't even have to do this. I'm going to get my servant to do it for you. Then he got a ring. A ring symbolized a couple of things. First of all, it represented the authority. Remember the story of Joseph? When Joseph 
became second in command. He came out of prison and Pharaoh made him second in charge. What did Pharaoh give to Joseph? Took off his ring, put it on Joseph. Why did he do that? When you see that ring on anybody, they have the same authority as Pharaoh himself. What the daddy was saying, everything that I have is yours. You have the same authority in me. Matter of fact, when you go to the market, you can go and buy something and they have this little wax thing and you put your insignia from the ring on that, which means that my daddy's going to pay for that. <laughs> that was your MasterCard. That was your MasterCard. So the daddy says, I got shoes on your feet. I'm going to put a ring on you to make sure you've got everything's going to be covered for you. Never go hungry again. You'll never do without again. You have authority. And not only that, I'm going to put a robe on you, which represents the righteousness of God. Uh, it seemed like I had more time the first service than I did the second one. But anyway, let me just read this one scripture. Jump down, to, if you could, to 2 Corinthians 3.18. Everyone's why I like to go window shopping when it comes to cars I go I, I, I went to uh, Spradley Chevrolet to, because that's where the Corvettes are and so uh, I went and I was just looking and I set him one and I just went oh it fits so good <laughs> it's fun to window shop isn't it so to speak yeah no okay most women would say, no, I want to buy. I don't want to shop. And I agree with you on that. But anyway, a lot of times we window shop because we think we dream of having something, but we don't have it. Keep that in mind. Listen to the scripture in 2 Corinthians. It says, the days of window shopping are over. This is so good. The days of window shopping are over. In Jesus, every face is unveiled. And gazing with wonder at the blueprint likeness of God displayed in human form, we suddenly realize that we are looking at ourselves. Every feature of his image is mirrored in us. I don't think you heard that. Every feature of the image of Jesus is mirrored in us. This is the most radical transformation engineered by the Spirit of the Lord. We are led from an inferior mindset to the revealed endorsement of authentic identity. You are His glory. So quit acting and treating yourself with trash mentality, guilt mentality, shame mentality, condemnation mentality. When Jesus said, when you look in the windows now, you're not just with an expectation. Oh, that's Jesus or that's pastor or that's some great super Christian. And oh, I wish I was like this. And he says, no, those days are over. Now, when you look in the window, you see Jesus, you are seeing yourself. Wow, shake my head. Are you hearing that? So God wants you to quit that. He wants you to quit thinking guilty because of what you've done or what you didn't do. I could have did a better job as a parent. I could have done a better job with my finances. Oh, man, I look back and I go, man, I really screwed up. I could have did this and I could have that. And I would just beat myself up and the Lord says stop it 
Just stop it, Mike. You don't think I'm big enough? Oh, you made, oh, you made so many mistakes. I can't fix none of it. That's what we think. Yeah, God is so puny when it comes to fixing stuff. Let's change the way that we think. More importantly, be transformed in the way that you think about yourself. When you see Jesus, you see yourself. That's radical. You want your life to change? Do you want your life to change? Instead of you working so hard on yourself, won't you work on seeing him and seeing yourself when you see him? That will transform your life more than anything that you can do. And religion will say, oh, I could never think that. Well, then life is going to be a struggle of guilt, condemnation, and shame for you. But not this bunch. We're going to be radically changed. Amen. I said we're going to be radically changed. And it's because how we see ourselves. So from this day forward, I want you're still going to be tempted to feel guilty. You're still going to feel guilty and condemned. But this is what you're going to do. Go, nope, nope, I'm not going down that road. I'm going to take the high road, the narrow road. The narrow road is this. It's the road that Jesus has destined for me to walk on. It's a road free of guilt, free from condemnation, free from shame.